Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, a podcast where each week will be a random topic and we cast views. I'm Dan. And I'm Lou. Right, Lou. So it's my turn for the topic this week. And in a slight deviation to my normal jolly, happy, fluffy <laughs> topics, and as it's coming up to Christmas as well, um, I want to talk about con scams and frauds. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> Well, tis the season to be scamming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've had this in mind for a while. So like I said, it's, it's kind of I want us to talk about all things con scams and frauds. The first thing I wanted to do was just have a look at kind of what the dictionary definition of it was. A scam is either a confidence game or fraudulent scheme, especially for making a quick profit or swindle, or it can be used as a verb to cheat or defraud with a scam fairly straightforward isn't it a con is a trick in which someone deceives you by telling something that is not true and a fraud ultimately is someone or something deceiving you basically i think giving false information so whereas the the other two i think you could probably describe it as people doing dastardly things fraud is is almost an attempt to hide the information now you can have these definitions but for me, the way I would describe them are shitty people doing shitty things to innocent or good-hearted or naive people. And I think that's a fairly good summary, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Because, I mean, you know, generally speaking, most scams nowadays especially um, do target people that are generally old. Yeah, vulnerable, I think, is the word. Yeah. Right? And um, and I was kind of having a look, and I got from um, The Witch, uh, a witch article again, saying that the year to April this year, in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland, there were 413,553 instances of fraud. And that was an increase of 33% on the previous year. It is a lot, and some people may say, well, I thought it'd be higher, but I'm guessing also that these, well, these are just the ones that are reported. I think there's a lot more. And as we go into kind of some of the types of, scams i think there's a lot more that probably goes unreported due to embarrassment or shame yeah feeling it yeah or or i guess even hopelessness of feeling like it doesn't matter because it's done you're never going to see money again potentially yeah there are some cons or scams that actually target shame you know trying to shame people i say now there's that email you know it was it was mentioned on the news i remember on the radio a few years ago there are emails going around you know saying oh we've hacked into your your webcam and we've seen you watching those websites we've taken footage of you <laughs> and we're gonna send it to all your friends and i was thinking well firstly well you haven't really have you and secondly i was thinking well if the worst thing is that my friends might see that well you know they go for it <laughs> i'm like congratulations you got hours and hundreds of hours of footage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good luck going for it all. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, you know, kind of we're laughing about that, but there there'll be some people that will have um kind of will believe that. Yeah, yeah. And have fallen for it. And and that's that's kind of where I'm going at the shame thing. As part of that figure I said, the four hundred and thirteen thousand five hundred and fifty three, it's um I think probably no surprise that online shopping, online activity has seen the biggest increase. You know, lock well, we're becoming a more tech savvy and tech oriented oriented society anyway but lockdown through covid has just forced us on our computers even more 
Yeah, oh, I yeah. think the online side of things, I think that's natural and that's expected. What's your view? Or what's your initial takes on? Yeah, I think if you've seen the increase, I think it's true. It's just because a lot of stuff's going online now. And when you're online, stuff can look really deceivingly convincing when you're online. So when it comes to shopping, like, have you ever been on like a website where you've wanted something, for instance, like, you know, I mean, at the minute, like I collect football shirts. So I've been on loads of websites that do football shirts. And then some of them I'm like, I really don't look like the look of this website. But it's almost just legitimate enough to kind of maybe spark your interest. And you could see, obviously, I'm, I'm, you know, generally quite skeptical so i stick to big names anyway yeah and and sites like Trustpilot and that sort of thing are always helpful but there are some people that just don't don't probably realize that that sort of facility is available to kind of check websites out and that sort of thing or like you said go into it naively just thinking oh well this person's got a a website that looks decent because i see ads like that pop up on facebook you know where you get really those dodgy websites that pop up on facebook that are trying to sell you random goods and it's like "Mm, i don't like the look of that but I guess email and text scams now um, are pretty common. I mean, funnily enough, it's it's funny that we're filming this this week because on Thursday I had a text and it came from a titled contact called Lloyd's Bank. Oh, right, and I was yeah. like, hmm, don't have a bank account with Lloyd's Bank. And it says, on the 2nd of the 12th, 2021, at 17.56, you added a device from your account. If this was not you, please visit. And then it sends you a link. And I'm like, right, okay. So I don't have a bank account with Lloyd's. But <laughs> for some people, in the event that, imagine if you did have an account with Lloyd's, exactly. you would immediately go on. And I'm not going to click on the link and haven't, because obviously, because I wanted to have a look at what this site might look like. But I imagine it's probably just a fake website set up to look like Lloyd's. Mm. And, and obviously, you're going to get people that just genuinely believe it. Well, this is, I was actually going to ask you if, not that if you've fallen for any, but have you almost? Now, I will say as well, the same as you. I think I'm pretty good at this. I think I've grown up with tech. I'm in in and around IT as as a career. And like you, I think I'm overly sceptical. If anything, I go the other way. I don't trust anything. Even when the bank has called me, I'm like, no, I'm hanging up. I'm going to call you back. You know, I'm, I'm almost so untrusting of anything now that, even if it's a genuine thing, I will always hang up. I will always, if it, if it's from an email, like you said, never click on a link. I will call call the bank up. Like I've had a, in the past uh, a text from, yeah, quote, HSBC saying there's been activity on my account. Can you contact us? I've looked up on the website. I've looked for the HSBC fraud department rather than doing anything through the phone. Yeah, through the contact that they've had with you. Well, you know what? A good Another good example is obviously I'm with Virgin Internet, as you would probably imagine from the amount of times we've talked about my technical issues. Yeah. And not long ago, my internet went down. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the phone rang after it came back, which was after about an hour and a half. The phone had rung and it was a telephone call saying, hi, I'm calling from Virgin Media. Um, understand there's been problems in your area. Could you just let us know what box and that sort of thing you've got? And I was like, that's a bit strange because Virgin Media would never, and I say this, would never ever do a courtesy call like that, number one. Yeah, yeah. But also the telephone number was the local dial code. Okay, okay. And I thought, well, Virgin Media certainly wouldn't be calling from a local dial code. So I turned around and said, well, if you know that I'm a Virgin Media customer, what's the name of the account holder? Because you would know that because you've got my phone number. So you must have the account holder information. And they went, sorry, sorry, sir, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, no, you should know what my name is immediately hung up. And I thought, again, that's like my internet has gone down that day in a different world. You would have a conversation with that person because of the circumstances as well. I thought that, you know what, hats off to them because I thought that that one was really clever because they've kept an eye on where internet is going down to prey on people that might give them information over the phone well this is absolutely what i was going to say i think you know and i started at this 
you know, at the top of the, the podcast, I said that it happens to innocent or good hearted or naive people. I think also distracted or busy people, I think, is is another one, because the only time I've almost been caught out was exactly what you said. I was moving house and I called up to transfer my broadband from one house to another house. And while I was doing that, a day or two later, I got a phone call saying we're from Virgin Media. You know, I understand there's an issue on your account or there's there's a problem with it. And I, and I was just working from home at the time. And I thought, no, they can't be disconnecting me early. And, and I got distracted <laughs> thinking that it was because I called them up two days and knowing how mistake prone they are, let's say for a better yeah. term, I thought, God, they better not be switching me off early. And I almost, I started to to kind of believe the, the, the phone call. And I, I started, you know, actually my partner, she answered the phone and she was starting to engage in it. And I quickly took off and said, no, no, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to call you back. And then I did. I called, I think, the Virgin Media lineup. And they said, no, no, it, we didn't contact you. And it's, it's, it's what you said. It's that split second where for a moment it was a possibility that it could have been something genuine. Yeah. Because yeah. they hit me. And I'm thinking if they hit another 100, 200 people that day who could be in a similar position, Chances are they only need one or two of them to go along with it. Yeah. My mum once, um, mum had a phone call and you know what she's like. I, I always told her, don't enter, if, if you don't know who they are and they're a company, just hang up. But she's, she's yeah. she just doesn't want to. And once she, she was on it and she goes, no, no, I'll have to, I'll pass you to my son. And yeah, I was there for dinner and she passed it. And it was someone saying, um, oh, we're, we're calling up because I, we, we understand she's got a problem with her Windows computer. And, and you know, my mum, she's so tech, tech illiterate that, you know, she's still using a phone from like 15 years ago. And I said, the only windows she's got are in the front and back of the house. I said, she hasn't got a computer. So I said, can you please not call up again and just slam the phone down? And, you know, I kind of, things like that are funny because it's obvious it's clear you, you, you don't entertain it. You just hang up. I just worry if I had set her up with a laptop, you know, I think she would have believed it and she would have gone along with it and i was thinking you know it's you can see how some people will will fall for it do do you know what it is though as well sometimes i mean obviously because i'm relatively savvy with it i've actually engaged people that have called me on the phone before (laughs) because i don't know about you but i think the most common scams that i've had on the phone have always been either insurance ones like oh you've had a car accident or it's something to do with you know i've had automated ones which are like your national insurance number is due to expire and stuff like that so i remember once there was um somebody that called and at first it was an automated message to say we heard you've been um in a car accident and so there's prompts obviously somebody's listening to the call whilst the automated message is going on to see what answers you give to see whether or not they should then actually speak to you so I basically just gave them all the positive answers that they would have wanted to have heard yeah I got connected to this lady and she turned around and said okay we'll have to take some details about the accident and I turned around and I was just like oh yeah it was it was it was terrible had a car accident really bad and she was saying did you sustain any injuries and I turned around on the phone I said oh I can't tell you how bad it was I left I lost my left testicle and I was also decapitated in the incident <laughs> and she turned around and said oh my gosh right and she continued reading through the script and I thought to myself are you fucking she wasn't listening was she honestly and I just thought you're so like ready for a positive answer that you've not actually listened and then we started getting through the conversation I just got more and more ridiculous and she ended up hanging up on me but sometimes I was just like you know what that five minutes or ten minutes that I've wasted of your time means that you might not be able to get the person that you were going to scam today yeah exactly it's ironic like you said it's ironic we're doing that this episode this week because um I'm listening to this old radio show well when I say old I'm talking about four years ago I'm not talking about like 50 years ago and 
the presenter was saying that he got called by his bank. Actually, no. And it's, you know, what you said, when you said it comes from a, like a Lloyd's bank, that sometimes is the genuine number because they do the number spoofing because I've had it as well. And, and he said as well, where he got a text from scammers and then got a legitimate text from the bank and it was under the same number. It was in the same chat. So they can spoof a number. But anyway, he got a call saying, a text saying there was um, suspicious activity and he went along with it. He didn't realise, and basically they started then taking money off his his card. <laughs> Bloody hell! Uh, you know, and he had to cancel. It. And he said, "Look, he goes, I'm quite savvy. They just got me in a weak moment." Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and I think that's it. And it's like um, a few years ago, my old neighbours, and um, you know, they're a retired couple. They, I, m- I remember there was a knock at the door one night because they they know me as working in IT. It's that classic thing. I work with computers, right? So I I do everything with computers. And they came around and said that they were called. It was the same thing. They were with BT. They got called saying that, that there was an issue with their BT line. They were having problems with their BT line that week. So they yeah. actually gave control. You, you know, one of the other scams is they'll say, oh, we'll install um, virus protection on it. Yeah. So they got they, they actually gave him access, but then the guy felt something wasn't right. So literally shut the computer down and came to me and said, look, is, you know, is there anything you could do? And I said, well, look, have they done anything? And he goes, no, I, I shut it down. So I, I, at the time, I can't remember. I wouldn't be able to do it now, but I'm, I remember looking in the program, seeing that there was nothing installed. But I think that was just by luck that he got that gut feel. And, yeah, you know, yeah. he was so close. He was so stressed. You know, they were so stressed out, you know, because the fact that they did give the remote control, they were, I think, again, it was just by luck that, that they didn't have anything put on their system and, and they were scammed out of it. And it's, it, again, it's just that, I reckon, like I said, if you hit a thousand people, one or two of them, at least, are going to be vulnerable. Yeah, because that's actually a big one now as well, isn't it? Where you go on, um, is it called like Team Team Viewer or yeah. like Team Share or something yeah, like yeah. that? And they'll say, oh, well, we can deal with it remotely. All you need to do is give us access to your computer. And then all of a sudden, all your information's gone. Um, that's a really common one. And again, you know, you think you're getting a call from like a support center. And a, like you say, circumstances are right. You probably might in that certain that particular instance you'd be like oh well yeah i have had problems with this it's just it's do you know what it is it's it sorry to be rude but you throw enough shit at a wall it's some of it's gonna stick like (laughs) basically and that's really what these scammers are doing isn't that like it's you know call a thousand people if only one percent of them call that's 10 of them that you've got that are going to hand over cash um it's sad really to think that that's what you know some companies do um, just linking from the team viewer thing as well. I don't know if you've seen them and I don't know if in any of your notes and that sort of thing, you've looked into it. There's actually a couple of, um, YouTubers who have entire accounts dedicated to like reverse hacking, like scammers. I've seen it on Twitch. I've seen a couple of people on Twitch. Yeah. Yeah. So what they do is they get reports of like phone numbers that have called and then they like remote access the person who's complained about the scammer and they'll take the phone calls and like there's instances where these guys and I don't know if they're like identifiable online because I imagine technically what they're doing is still illegal as well but they've like hacked into call center CCTV cameras and told people what they're wearing whilst they're speaking to them on the phone like some of them have crashed the hackers computers and deleted all their files and that sort of thing you've got these people on the phone going absolutely ballistic saying what have you done to my computer and he's like well it doesn't feel good does it so (laughs) maybe you should rethink your career choice but this is it right and kind of something you've said there has hit the nerve in the sense of I think before it was probably people or a couple of people 
trying to do some scams. It used to be the email, like really badly worded emails, the wrong company logos. Yeah. But now it feels like it's actually turned into an industry where like yeah, you've yeah. got call centers and, you know, listening to even online on, on Twitch, there's a couple of accounts where they go along with it. Basically, they don't do what you did. So they don't hack into it and, and do it back, but they go along with it. You know, he's set up fake bank accounts and, and they go along with it. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll pass you over to our, the manager and we'll pass you over to this guy. And, it, and they're set up like a company. It, it's an industry yeah. now. It's, 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 not, it's not some people working out of a dodgy flat somewhere. It's now a business. Yeah, yeah. And that's the scary thing about it because technology has allowed scams to be more elaborate and to be more convincing. So, you know, whereas back in the day for someone to turn around and get your credit card information, they'd legitimately need to nick a card out of your post box if it got delivered. Nowadays, people can set up a dodgy site. The moment you put your information into it, finished, gone completely. Yeah, well, you used to get the the people go door to door. There were, you know, dodgy salesmen, there were dodgy things. But yeah, like you said, they'd have to do it in person. And I think it probably takes a bit more, for want of a better word, it probably takes a bit more courage on that person's behalf. So yeah. Now it is all it is all online. It's all on the end of a phone. I just don't think people care anymore. It's like, well, I'll just ring that next number. I'll ring that next number. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's, it has become easier in that sense. One of the things I was going to ask, right, and you've said it yourself, like, you know, the, the fake websites and that. You know, that witch report I mentioned at the start, they say that basically fake websites is one of the big ones. So people are unknow- unknowingly buying from fake websites and that the goods never arrive. And that surged by 65% over the year with the total amount lost to that scam being 69 million pounds. Jesus. Yeah, so it's an average of 674 pounds per report, basically. I'm thinking maybe I'm a bit more savvy on that because I've kind of grown with the internet. I, I, I suppose the same as you but i know what it was before i've seen all the the early stories but i'm thinking now where everyone is doing everything on their phones i'm wondering is it more prime now because our younger people and i don't mean that as a generalization but because you're using the internet and just so much more online is there more of a oh yeah that website i'll use that or i've never heard of that website i'll use that whereas before i would be like right what's my Norton safe web saying? Right, I'm going to yeah, Google it. What's yeah. Trustpilot saying? You know, and, yeah, and I'd probably yeah. be a lot more thorough because I've, I've seen the horror stories and, and I've known people that have been scammed. Yeah, well, I think that's the first port of call for me. If I have ever seen a website or ever wanted to purchase anything off of a website that I've never used before, barring obviously, you know, your big boys, like, you know, you go Sainsbury's or Amazon or whatever it might be. Um, Trustpilot has always been my best friend because you look at it immediately. And if you know it's got 70% bad reviews, you're like, right, no, this is legitimately not a good idea. Um, but it's true. I just think, I think people just aren't as, as kind of, don't don't have as much knowledge about how to protect themselves nowadays from scams but the thing is as well i mean nowadays even legitimate links can be compromised so not long ago and i won't name the company specifically because obviously it's it's not not their fault but again i, I mentioned that i um collect football shirts now everybody from a particular retailer of football shirts um got an email which was about cashback from their official email address the same one that you would get if you had a postage or delivery confirmation all of that sort of thing and basically what had happened is is someone had hacked into their system and sent the email as a phishing email so the email said please click the link you'll get a cashback considering your previous order and that sort of thing so a load of people went online seeing that it was the official link 
to them would click on the link and it basically asks you for your card information to process you a cashback based on your last order loads of people ended up putting their details into it and they had to put a huge statement out saying look this wasn't us we apologize absolutely for what's happened um, but please make sure that you need to cancel your cards and contact your banks, basically. So sometimes, this is what I mean, when when it comes to the age of computers, you can sometimes have humongous corporations that are compromised. So I think really the rule of thumb would be if somebody's offering you free money or something positive for nothing, just be cautious, Yeah, really. Because I think as well, you see a lot of the time, um, and they've been forwarded to me from people that I know, and it's been like, oh, click on this link and claim your free Tesco £15 voucher yeah. or 20, £20 voucher and you look at the web address and it, it's like it's like i dot five nine. do you know what I mean and it's I'm, I'm just like that's not a legitimate Tesco address but people must just genuinely buy into it because especially if it's shared from a friend they turn around and say oh yeah use this link I've been sent it I've seen it because it's a cashback yeah immediately you know you're getting your victims to to do the the long exactly. work for you yeah, and that's always it. Like I saw someone on Facebook a little while ago do one, and it was I think it was Tesco, and yeah, yeah, the URL is like tescolols dot com or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the other big scam that was that was on the up in the in in the last year. So they said while the online shopping scam was the most reported type of fraud, the category that saw the biggest year on year increase and is up eighty three percent was phone and text scams. We now see that people have been at home more doing a lot more online so there's a lot more couriers flying around and delivering things and yeah. that's basically what it is is uh, you'll get a text that include as you said include a link to a website and it'll ask for payment details or other information now i'll talk about a couple i've had what i don't understand though about scams and and i've heard so many in the past on the radio is at what point do the people, though, being scammed not say enough's enough? So they're saying here, and this was in, in the, they state in this article that The Guardian in May featured a number of cases who had, of people who had been hit by a scam, including a woman who'd received a text. And this isn't necessarily about missing delivery, but she ended up being persuaded to transfer £35,000 from her bank account to one of the criminals. And I'm like... At what point do you say enough's enough? You know, I can yeah. only imagine, like the glee on the on the the conman's face. Yeah, I, I I can't imagine that point of where you're giving that much over. Now, for me, I'd seen so I've been on. You know, I managed to get away recently, and I was waiting for some tests to be delivered. Uh, you know, like the the COVID tests, and I was getting texts saying. Oh, from Hermes, you've missed your delivery, missed your delivery. Now, again, because I was waiting for a delivery, I almost could have been tempted to click on it. But because I knew that the package wouldn't arrive until a specific day, I knew it couldn't be that. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's that it's that classic thing that you get a text, you know, like you get a WhatsApp. We'll WhatsApp each other regularly. You'll get WhatsApp. You'll get messages from companies saying your your parcel's on its way. The fact that I was waiting for one, initially, I'm almost thinking, shit, have they delivered it early? But yeah. I know that company wouldn't have done that. So, and then I got two or three in a row and I was thinking, shit, you know, maybe it is right. But I said, no, hold your <laughs> nerve. And, and I was right too. And it's, it's again, I think texts, I think, probably are even easier to do because you're not speaking to someone. You can't you can't catch someone out by it. You're just getting a text and it says, oh, yeah, I've had a parcel not delivered. Let me click yeah, on the link. Yeah. You know, and it's just so, God, it's, it's a minefield, isn't it? 
Well, another one, again, kind of in light of, I guess, Brexit and that sort of thing, is obviously now you pay import duty for anything, I think, more than the value of £135. I think mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. And I've had texts and emails saying, oh, your package has arrived at customs. Please click the link to pay duties and import tax and all of that sort of thing. And I'm sat there being like, I've definitely not ordered anything abroad and definitely not ordered anything <laughs> more than the value of 135 quid. But again, you know, you send that text out to 10,000 people, the likelihood of someone waiting on a package potentially that's come from abroad is actually probably quite high. So as a result, people will turn around and click that link, especially because now, you know, it's been drilled into us. Look, you need to make sure that you're, you're aware of customs duties if you've, if you've bought anything. And that's generally, I think, a relatively new one that's come about as well, alongside the kind of delivery one. We'll go into some more of the types of scams, but just the final bit I've got from this this report, and it, it links into last week's episode is investment fraud accounted for the most money reported lost overall at 535 million jesus yeah half a billion quid yeah and it works out an average at 25 and a half that well 25,500 for each of the 20,989 reported incidents so that's right is this in the uk only yeah yeah so this is england half a billion quid just in the uk basically this type of fraud or con involves people being tricked into thinking they're making genuine investments for lucrative yeah. returns and the reason i say it's it links in last week so they're saying lo- lockdown consumers ended up losing money after using search engines to research investments while others were tripped by adverts on social media sites and many of the scams involve cryptocurrency such as bitcoin or schemes yeah. that claim to offer early access to pension pots and they have fake celebrity endorsements. So again, it's using that new technology, using that buzzer. Everyone, we said last week that everyone wants to to get in on it. You know, it's yeah, that new exciting yeah. thing. And and are people just rushing into things? They see, is it like I said, is it an offer too good to be true? We've seen big, we've seen cryptocurrencies go up massively. And so they just want in on it, whether it's, you know, whether it's real or not. Yeah, I guess preying on the hype and people that might be, yeah. But you know what, again, like sometimes, and this obviously I'm not giving any scammers credit because they're all arseholes. Um, but sometimes you got you got to kind of at least commend the creativity, to be honest with you, because the, they keep up with the bloody times, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So kind of some other scams out there. So dating scams is another big one. And, they, and I think okay. that's the one where I've said maybe people are ashamed because I've heard reports on the radio. This woman came forward, actually, because she wanted to warn people. And it's um, that that's risen by 40 percent in a year. And it's it's as you think it's people being tricked into transferring some money to people they've met online now. Yeah, it's it's the classic. They're in another country and they say, oh, can you send me some money? Oh, can you send me some money? I'm trying to come over, but I've been detained. And it's that slow drip, drip, drip of sending money over, which is done over time. And again, it's just preying on someone's vulnerability because they want to be in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's been turned into a, a, a route for scamming. But you know what as well, that one that one's particularly difficult as well because it's it's true. Like I think, um, I don't know if it was Good Morning Britain a while ago that did a, a piece on a, a lady who'd, again been kind of drip feeding money to a person that she she'd met online um and then they asked her for a huge sum because i think that's how it starts you you ask for a little bit and then they continue to talk to you i guess at that point you think it's genuine because oh if they wanted to run off my money they would have already done so by now yeah um, and then they asked for a huge transfer i think it was like fifteen thousand pounds and she'd done it and then all of a sudden all contact ceased and that's because she wasn't talking to 
the models photos that they'd used she was actually talking to some random fat dude sitting in a basement somewhere and and you know it's it's, it's true i think it's it's just a level of vulnerability and again circumstance makes people buy into these things yeah whether it's they found love or whether they found crypto deal or whether they found a cheap football shirt on a website yeah. it, it's that <laughs> it's that desire whatever that desire is that for example on amazon i've got a wish list of i've created a wish list of vinyl that i want right and i'm constantly checking it and the minute like one will go down i jump on it and i'm thinking I, i'm generally tending to use certain shops for it I think I mentioned in one of the episodes of social media, I saw like a Beatles box set being advertised for a ridiculously low amount on Facebook. And they were using a real video of someone off Facebook, uh, off YouTube, who had bought it and was unboxing it. And my first instinct was, this is a great bargain, go for it. But then when I stopped and looked at it, and then later on in the day, another funny name company was selling that. And then the next day, it was a different name company selling it. I thought, again, it's just that, is it not addiction, but that compulsion to want that item at a fantastic price, which you know is too good to be true, but your yeah. brain at, at the time, your brain just doesn't compute. Yeah. But, but you know what as well? I mean, sometimes like the air of scams actually just negatively affect decent causes as well. Cause I don't know if you've noticed, but a while ago, um, I imagine you've had charity door knockers before, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays, Charity door knockers will never walk around, you know, with like a, a change bucket almost um, okay, for you yeah. to put cash in. And that's because there were people that were just walking up to doors with fake charity lanyards on, basically asking people for donations because obviously it was easy for somebody who might have a couple of quid to just get you off your doorstep. Um, you slang a couple of quid in the pot. But nowadays um, you get a charity door knocker and they're like, no, we can't do it. It has to be by like card because we can't take you know cash on the door because it's basically banned um and again you know i wonder how much money charities potentially lost out on all because some assholes wanted to impersonate them and and make money off of a decent oh my god and you've just reminded me of one i completely forgot about so you know you get those bags that get put through your door for you to donate old clothes unwanted clothes yeah a while ago that was a big scam where, where where scammers were delivering bags through the doors saying they were a charity to put on wanted clothes and they were collecting them and basically then setting a pop-up shop in a town or a local town <laughs> and selling the items and i mean it's ingenious i want to call it ingenious but they're depriving charities of those clothes yeah. but i mean it's again that's capitalizing on the goodwill of people because people we got so used to we you see them all the time you could probably get two or three a month if not a week those bags through the door saying can you yeah. donate any of this or that and that, yeah, they were doing it to set up a shop, a pop-up shop for a week, sell the items, then move on. You know, I've always said, like, hackers, scammers, if if they could use, like, in the comic books, use their power for good rather than bad, yeah. they, yeah. Could, they could probably stop or pre- prevent a load of crime. Yeah, it's like switching from the dark side to the good side. But you know what? There have been instances with hackers that, and well, I mean, you know, this isn't about hackers, but there have been hackers that have ended up working for governments and that sort of thing because they've yeah, been called yeah. out. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, if they're not because... if they're not jailed by them, sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, if they're not, you know, just sitting in a foreign country's embassy or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the thing. I think it's a shame, obviously, because it's true. Like genuine causes have suffered as a result of people trying to make a really, really quick buck. And to be honest, I don't really know what like criminal penalties there are if you get caught doing this sort of thing. I mean, you know, if you did run, for instance, like a charity change box scheme. Um, where you just knocked on people's doors asking for cash and you got caught. I wonder what the criminal penalty for that sort of thing would be because I feel like it wouldn't be a lot. 
because whilst you've defrauded people, I mean, like high level fraud, when you look at investment stuff, obviously you're going to go to prison for a long time, but you know, you make 150 quid, I guess there's, there's not really much that the police and, and the courts are really going to want to do with you. And that's it. And, and it kind of is probably something to do with general crime. We could probably do one on crime and, and policing. The only one I actually made a note of where people were arrested was it was a copycat website and it was I think in 2018 a couple were jailed for 35 years after they made 37 million selling fake passports and driving license through copycat websites now is the the jail sentence so severe because it was a government website they were they were faking so did the government did the courts come down harder on it because you know, if they were trying to, if they were copying Sainsbury's or if they'd have hacked a local store, would it have been as bad? Because they were making, you know, they went for the, the, the big, big bucks. They did passports, driving license and, and defrauding the government. I guess that's where, you know, it depends at yeah. what level. But I mean, they made 37 million. <laughs> that is an obnoxious amount of money. Could you imagine? But the thing is as well, when it comes to like scammers like them too, at what point do you say we've made our money? This exactly, is it because the longer it exactly. goes on. Like it is, it is, you know, at the first couple of million quid, you'd think, you know what, we've made enough to get out of this game now and turn around <laughs> and live our happy lives on a beach in Barbados somewhere. But instead, it's more, 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 more. It's that like great. 30 million it's quid wasn't enough. It makes no sense. Um, sorry, before we move on, I'm actually going to um, and talk about a particular story because while we were talking about charity box scams, I actually thought of a story that I'd seen um, and I found an article for it in okay. on, on ITV. So this was in Gloucestershire and the title of the article is Mystery Man in Costume Cons Carnival Goers. So there was basically a um, village like fair in Gloucestershire and um, there was a man that turned up in like a black and white checkered morph suit. Yeah. And what he did at the carnival all day was ask people um, to guess his identity and it would be like a pound donation basically. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the proceeds would go to the upkeep of Wollaston Hall. So basically, this bloke walked around the town all day saying to people, guess my identity, it's only a pound per go. And I imagine <laughs> promised them some stupid prize. And then at the end of the event, just disappeared, right? So he turned around and was handing out leaflets saying, what's my name? And then put your contact name and telephone number and put your guest down. Um, and there's a 100 pound jackpot prize. And he collected a quid from everybody at this like village fair and then just disappeared. Nobody still knows who he is. Brilliant probably isn't the right word. Again, it's a simple idea. He's gone to a village bait where these sort of things happen. No one's going to question it. He was in a costume. How are you going to find him? Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. I just think, you know what? Like I said, whilst I don't respect these people because, you know, they're all abhorrent, you've got to respect the ingenuity of the circumstance. So he's turned yeah. around and thought, there's a gap in the market for a scam here. What can I come up with? Yeah. And you know what? Executed bloody brilliantly. To be and, honest, you know. And you've now just reminded me, this is brilliant because you're spinning, uh, we're spinning off at different angles all the time. You reminded me of one. Now, I can't remember it fully, but I'm sure there was a similar story where for 10 years, a guy was making people pay for a car park that was actually a free car park. He was setting up at the front of this car park and, you know, putting a sign up saying it's like a pound an hour or a pound for a day. And he was charging people for the car park. But then when people were like, oh, he disappeared or something, or people complained, the council was saying, no, it's like, you don't pay for that car park. Is that it? And then he, the guy disappeared. Now, if I'm sure, I'm pretty certain um, that I've heard about this. Was it at a zoo? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Again, sorry, I've just found an article. Now, I remember it being a zoo, so a fake car park <laughs> attendant at Bristol Zoo swindled visitors out of money for 20 years. 20, wow. A fraudster reportedly got away with the scam for two decades before taking his fortune and vanishing. Um, that's absolutely brilliant. But at the time, Bristol Zoo believed the man was working for the council whilst the local authority believed he was working for the zoo. <laughs> Bristol Zoo have consistently said this is not true. But a research group has... Oh, oh, wait, hang on a minute. I don't know if it's a myth or not. Bristol Zoo have consistently said this isn't true, but a research group has now tried to explain where the urban myth came from. I'll tell you what, what we'll do is we'll probably tweet out after this episode. I'll do some digging on that one and we'll confirm whether or not our, uh, our well, Bristol Zoo scammer was real or not. Of course Bristol Zoo are going to say it wasn't true. Well, yeah, this is the truth. Could you imagine <laughs> yeah. everybody turning out to like, oh, Bob, like, oh, I want my fucking money back. I've been coming here every year for 20 years, paying a fiver per day. <laughs> the only other one I had kind of scam, and I'd not, well, it seems obvious, but I'd not really heard of it because they say really it targets younger people, but it was um, employment scams. So they're saying where basically people target like 18 to 24 year olds with like training schemes for certain jobs, and but then the training schemes don't actually exist. Or see, or they say you pay us for a for a CV service to amend your CV, etc. And then they get the money and then don't actually do anything. So, again, that's just preying on people's desire for employment. And and again, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, we're we're ticking off everything: tech scams, text deliveries, fake websites, crypto. But it just feels like wherever there's an interest so this is almost unlimitable these kind of scams because they just move on to whatever the next fad is i guess i was going to sort of go into almost like the the original ones that it's the you know the i think they call it an advanced fee scam someone in another country but they were being held there against their beliefs or the son of a king had died and they're trying to get the money out the country and they need someone in in this country to help them and Basically, what you had to do was give them your bank details so they could then transfer some of the money. And then, and then it ended up, basically, they emptied your account. That was the big one at first. Oh, yeah, this is it. So it was, um, it's one of the most common types of con- contracts. And the scam typically involves promising the victim a significant share of a large sum of money in return for a small upfront payment, which, of course, the claims will be used to obtain the large sum. If a victim makes a payment, the fraudster either invents a series of further fees for the victim to pay or simply disappears. So that's it. So I think it was like, you, you know, I need to, to get some fake passports to escape the country or I need to get this. And so you'd send them four, five, six hundred pounds. And then they pocket it and move on to the next person. You know what, right? With that one, yeah. I'm not really sorry for the people that fall for that one. And that's because in and of itself, that sounds like something dodgy to begin with. As in like, it sounds like you're getting into something dodgy when you sign up to that one. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, this was at the early days. So probably people thought, let's go for the big ones. They weren't so subtle back then. (laughs) The other one was saying that you'd won the lottery in another country. (laughs) Right. I remember I'd won the Australian lottery once and the Spanish lottery twice. (laughs) It's like, it's quite good for the fact I didn't buy a ticket. (laughs) It involves fake lottery wins, although the intended victim has not entered it. The winner is usually asked to send sensitive information such as your name, address, occupation to a free email account, which is at times untraceable. They then harvest the information and then the scammer notifies the victim that releasing the funds requires a further fee. And then obviously, yeah, once you send that fee, you're not getting that back or the lottery. (laughs) 
But yeah, I remember a couple of times, um, yeah, walking into work saying, drinks from me, I've won the Spanish lottery. (laughs) (laughs) Donde esta la bar? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 I mean, I'd just like to win the lottery. I'd actually pay to enter for once, let alone one I haven't. You get them variations. There was one in, in 2004, a variant of the lottery scam happened in in america where a scammer phones a victim saying that they're speaking on behalf of the government about a grant they qualify for subject to a fee of 250 dollars and again that's see that sounds believable 250 dollars is a lot of money i'm not saying it's it's not but it's not a lot to for you to to kind of balk at if you think you're potentially going to get a benefit or a grant or something yeah so again that's quite clever you know, instead of going for the thousands, go. You know, this this scam's going for the low, the lower numbers where they'll get a few people pay for it, and they just need to get ten of those in a week. That's that's two and a half grand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I guess if you can scam pennies from everyone, you're laughing, really, aren't you? Because I think the big the big instances, like we talked about, the lady that had transferred thirty five thousand great British pounds to a scammer, was still nuts. Yeah, but fair enough. Those can't be short. Well, you would you would hope that they weren't particularly common, but you would think that again, kind of on a small scale in terms of finance, but a large scale in terms of number, um, is more so what the preferred method would be for any of these scammers. Yeah, and and I just think it kind of goes back to what you said um, about greed, right? I, I guess you've got two approaches: either hit big, try and make the money, and then go or or do you do it for a longer period? Maybe you get more chance of getting caught. I don't know. If we go back to like the, some of the more intricate and clever, and then ones where as you're going along with it, you could probably believe it's real. But then as you look back on it, you must think, what the fuck did I do? You know, there's yeah. some really scary ones, right? And, and again, I don't, I don't have that here, but it was something that was, I remembered when I was listening to a, a program actually today about financial cons and it involved being contacted by a bank saying that there's fraudulent activity on your card. I think it involved a number of conversations. So it wasn't, they weren't trying to do anything straight away, but it involved a number of conversations backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, getting the, 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 the confidence of the victim. And then what they said was that they needed to actually investigate the chip on the card to make sure that, right, there, you know, okay. that, that wasn't compromised. So they then sent a courier to pick up the person's card and they'd already got all the pin details. They've already got everything else. And so so basically the person is handing over a card to the conman, but thinking that they're handing it to a courier who's taking it to the bank, who's going to take it to their fraud department. It's almost like giving the burglars the the front door, the key to the front door, isn't it? That's ultimately what you're doing. You're saying, look, you know, the Rolex is upstairs. The diamonds are in that room. Here's the keys. Go nuts. Yeah, that one there as well. You know what? I can I can see how given again like the right circumstances, how you turn around and be like, oh well, they're sending a courier for me. Now imagine the courier in this was like an independent party, nothing to do with the scammers. I imagine they actually used a courier service. No, I think it's part of them. Oh right, okay. So the couriers are also part of the scam, but they're they just operate right, right, okay. That would have been even. Could you imagine how fancy? Maybe maybe that's a scam that we maybe be giving people ideas to actually use a Hermes courier <laughs> yeah. to pick up people's cars. But again, you can kind of see maybe how that one has has managed to get a lot of people. To be fair, yeah, because again, they're doing it on the, the belief that they are talking to the bank, and you know they've probably because maybe they've had the card cloned, or all hackers maybe have got into the account. They've some money's gone out, and 
they just want to they they believe they're doing the right thing that's almost like the heartbreaking thing is that the victim believes they're doing the right thing yeah yeah but the thing is as well with like the the bank ones are difficult i mean i think if we were to give anybody any advice regarding banks if the bank calls you they should be able to tell you who you are that's the first question you should always ask but similarly with you i'd like i just I, I, I can I can understand how people get caught by it, but would I ever say that I would fall victim to that? Probably not. Again, is it just because some people are just a little bit more savvy with it or just not, not as trusting? I just can't see myself falling victim to it. But again, it's a lucrative business because scams like this have been going on for absolutely years. So there, there must be enough people out there. I was a bit distracted because I found the story. The story is from 2013, right? So it's, it's some time ago, but that's not to say it's not still happening. What it was, was a person was called by Visa, supposedly someone purporting to be from Visa card services. And the person at the end of the line had told the victim that there was a number of fraudulent transactions on the bank account since midnight, which totaled over a thousand pounds. This person had never heard of Visa card services before, but then they'd never had money stolen. He then confirmed the last genuine withdrawal I'd made that the Bartleys, well, I don't need to go into that bit, um, gave him a reference number and told me to ring the number on the back of my card. I did just that, quoted the reference number and spoke to someone who knew all about the supposed fraud. Some cunning tricksters had apparently cloned my card and ATM I'd used and then treated themselves to a few things in an Apple store. But something didn't ring true about the whole thing. Why would someone with a stolen bank card only spend £400 in Apple Store, for starters? But I watch enough TV to know that these things happen. The person apparently helping me in HSBC's car protection department had all my details, full name, date of birth, and crucially, my address. When he said a courier was on the way to collect my bank card for further examination, I didn't need to tell him where I lived. I initially flinched at the idea, but when he explained it was needed to properly analyse a chip, it seemed to make sense. After all, I had called the bank myself. This was no cold call, and he had my details already. That's probably why I also typed my pin into the keypad of my phone. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. We can't see it, but we need to perform a pin block. I'd never heard of that, but fair enough. I packaged the card up as requested and waited for the courier to arrive. They called me back twice, once to say the car was five minutes away and again say it was outside, quoting the car's number plate and describing the driver. He called again later that afternoon to say they'd received the card and I would have have my money in a few days. Sucked in by the efficiency, I went through exactly the same process the following day with my credit card. And the same forces somehow hacked into my online account and maxed it out. After a few days, they stopped calling and by this point, I was worried that to my estimations, I was £5,000 out of pocket and I called the bank from my mobile this time. After explaining the situation to two or three people, I had the most chilling phrase of all, but sir, your cards haven't been reported as stolen. Realisations wow. kept yeah, realizations kept hitting me as I relayed the conversation over and over. Why did I give my card to a stranger? Why did I type my pin into the phone? How did they had my mother's maiden name? How did they have my address? I guess, and you know, it's a much longer story. I won't, I won't go sort of read it but i guess also the other part of that must also be that they've obviously sort of tapped into the phone because and i've heard of that as well where they can gain control of the line of the phone because that person has called the bank but it didn't go through it went through to the scammers so you know that person then has done the right thing yeah yeah i suppose that's directly what i said earlier about i'd hang up and call the bank in my head i know a bank would never 
send a courier to collect the credit. I think that's where I'd start getting suspicious. I don't know. Yeah, because, I mean, if a bank ever wants you to cancel your card, they just tell you to chop it up and that's that. Like, in terms of your card being cloned, it's immaterial because it's already been cloned at that point. So it's like, you know, I've cancelled cards because I've lost them, but not actually lost them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I <laughs> you, You've like lost them for 20 minutes, freaked out and said, oh my God, it's been stolen. When in actual fact, it's just under your sofa. You told me you lost your wallet in my car and I turned my car inside out for about 20 minutes. And you said, you yeah, yeah, it. it was just like under a jacket in my horrifically messy room or something. I remember once I had to call my bank up because I, I needed to order another card because I was sat there and uh, this is when I I live somewhere else and i'd been um messing around like tidying stuff up and then i was just i can't find my can't find my car i can't find my wallet so i must have been lost ring the bank up and i'm like look i've lost my wallet i don't know what to do could you tell me if anything's been spent on it um and funnily enough i got my own security questions wrong <laughs> so they said to me they were like what's your last transaction i was like oh, i don't know it might have been petrol here they were like no that's incorrect i said oh was it it and they were like no sorry sir you can't ask us a leading question i was like oh no they're not even going to believe it's me um turned out i'd accidentally packed it away in a suitcase um <laughs> long after my new card had been delivered i was like well at least i've got my wallet back <laughs> but yeah i mean banks will just tell you tell you to basically chop your old one up and and that's that so i mean Again, I don't know if I could see myself falling for that one. But like you said, it's true. He's done the right thing. He's called and he's yeah. spoken to someone that he thinks is genuine. And they're giving him all the answers that he needs to needs to get. See, because that was the key. He said he then called from his mobile and that was it. So they somehow managed to get in on the phone line. You know, I don't know. I, I, I remember at the time years ago hearing similar stories. So whether that's changed now, now most people are on mobiles, maybe it's different. You could see how ingenious that was. But like like I said, at, at what point do you think, yeah, you're giving your card over? I, I don't know. that. I'd go to the bank. If there's a bank nearby, if it's Lloyd's or HSBC or whatever, just go to a bank and, and call it up if it was that serious. That's what I'd probably do. I think it's easy for us to say things like that in the cold light of day. Yeah. You just don't know what's going through the head of that person at the time, I guess. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, though, for the longest time, I stayed away from online banking, you know, like mobile banking on your phone. I stayed away from that just because I didn't trust it. And also, again, similarly to losing my wallet and my cards, um, I frequently used to break and lose phones um, <laughs> yeah. quite often. Yeah. So I turned around, I was just, oh, I don't want my details on the phone. So I always used to go into the bank and they'd be like, you know, sir, you can do this online and, and obviously it'd be much easier. I was like, no, I want to speak <laughs> to a person employed by the bank at a desk. I was like, that's how I'm going to do it. I was even skeptical of using the machines in the bank. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. But but the thing is, sometimes like even like cash points and that sort of thing. Like I don't know if anybody if anybody listening to this does it, but if I've ever needed, I mean, you you need to draw cash out in this day and age is basically nil. Yeah. But there are occasions in which you need to. And so if I've ever needed cash and I've had to use a cash point that I've never trusted, I've always done that thing. Do you know with like the green bit where your card goes in? I've always had a tug on that because sometimes yeah. they put yeah. covers over it. I've had a look underneath the um, top of the machine because that's where like they take a panel out to put like a camera or something in it to try and get your pin. So I'm I'm super, super sceptical, maybe too much so, to be honest. But I guess it, it's kind of the best way to be nowadays. I'm like proper covering it. Like, you know, when you're trying to stop someone copying from you at school, you know, when you're like hunker right yeah, over. Yeah. Right <laughs> right. The, the, the bloke in the queue behind you is just sitting there being like, mate, it's only your pin number, not fucking <laughs> nuclear codes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Like you said, uh, the, 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 the thing is, you feel like you're going the other way where you're ultra paranoid. So I'll sometimes go with like, you know, I, I instinctively know it's like muscle memory, the numbers I need, but you put all your hand over it almost like, well, if anyone's looking, they're going to think I've put it on that number when it's actually not. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's kind of the level you get to where you feel like you have to beat the scammers. It's odd though because I, I was like, well, I was like you. I I used online banking for years and years and years, but I just felt distrusting of of using my phone because yeah. you know the phone, all these apps. Like, you know, on on my laptop, I know I've got this this antivirus, this firewall, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the phone, it just felt like it was really weird. Now, now I love doing it. It's just so easy. But again, it's that it's that initial fear of right, what could go wrong with it. I just got to be more worried whenever they do an update to it. Recently, um, the bank I'm with, when you were doing like a transfer, like a payment, yeah, it put the um, decimal point in automatically. But now it doesn't. So a couple of times I've had to check because instead of sending like 35 quid, I've almost sent like 3,500 because <laughs> it doesn't put the dot in. You have to put the dot in as well. You know, I, and, and again, though, but it's, it's sometimes though you can be scammed and it's not your fault either. So I know in our family, we've had a couple of instances. So my dad died a year later. Someone had somehow set up a, a credit card in his name. And I think what they'd yeah. done was they'd intercepted the mail in the post box, the, yeah, the letterbox. Yeah. One of the things that was happening. So at the time, I think my mum had one of these ones that's outside and there was reports, you know, the police had said that people were putting like sticky tape on a, on a stick and fishing out mail from these, these letterboxes. I think, again, what they sometimes do is they skim the news articles to, to get names of people, you know, people who have recently passed, et cetera, et cetera, um, or, or, you know, or a year's like anniversary. And, and I remember that, that was really distressing one for my mum and also for us. It's almost like, it's like someone set up something for me. You know, when you see a thank you for setting up your credit card, because they just didn't get to that letter in time to take it out. Yeah. And it was like, but what the hell? You know, how, how have they done this? Um, yeah, yeah. That that one's a proper scummy one as well, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, use, you, using somebody who's dead to turn around and be like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you what. It's, like, oh, it's just, this is the thing. To know that somebody turned around, specifically picked him. At the thing, I mean, he, they probably picked lots of people that were in the in memoriam section of the paper, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then did that. I just think it's just such a dirty thing to do. And this is the thing. Like, Do you know what it is? It's, like I said, I think it's different levels. So some scams I've turned around and said, you've got to commend the creativity. But mm. some of them are just carried out by dog shit people. Oh. Oh, yeah. I think sometimes the word like con and scam is a, is a nice word. They should be called crimes. That's ultimately what they are. They are tricking yeah, people. Yeah. Out. They are by deceit. You know, people may be complicit with them, but that's because they're being deceived. They're not doing yeah. it. You know, you're not presenting the whole facts. But I kind of wanted to talk about some different kind of scams now. I don't know if you had anything else, on, particularly at the moment on this, but I kind of wanted to talk about the fact that it's not necessarily individuals against the public there's a couple of famous like tv ones i don't know if you had anything on that so go on then well one of the things i was going to say so scamming has been around since kind of day one this isn't a modern thing there's a famous one i I think it was in early 1900s where swindlers were selling the brooklyn bridge (laughs) yeah the, the street smart have long taunted the naive and gullible with the phrase if you believe that i've got a bridge to sell you the statement is an homage to the long line of con artists who began selling the Brooklyn Bridge as soon as it was completed in 1883 to suckers who thought they had scored the deal of a lifetime. So, you know, even back in 1883, you were getting scam. Oh, we, we know the Ponzi scheme, don't we? You know? Yeah, yeah. That was, um, he was convicted in 1920. So I'll tell you what then, I've got one more and I don't know if you've um, had a look at this one. Oh, go, go, for um, it, go for it. And this is again, to know, just to illustrate how long they've been around for, but this is kind of, defrauding entire government so i guess do you know what it is i think we look at it differently as well 
So when we look at the scam on like a little old lady, you turn around and feel angry. But do you know when you see like a government getting conned? I feel like there's almost like a bit of satisfaction that almost goes along with it as to like, how did that happen? Any governments listening, these are the thoughts of just half of the casting views. I'm going to turn around. That's it. My internet's definitely been tracked. It was um, a Portuguese chap called Alves dos Reis. I imagine that's how his name's pronounced. Um, He was born in Lisbon in 1896. And when he was 28 years old, he printed himself so much money that he caused an economic crisis. So he forged a contract with the Bank of Portugal, which authorised him to print new sets of banknotes. And he approached a company that had previously printed the Bank of Portugal notes, Waterloo and Sons, to make cash. The printers were legit, and they used the original plates to make the banknotes. So the forgeries were technically real notes, I guess. Um, He had 200,000 banknotes printed and they were worth almost 1% of Portugal's entire GDP, comparable to printing approximately $2 billion in currency today. And at one point, nearly half of all 500 Escudos notes were fake in Portugal, (laughs) in ones that were printed by him. He had so much money, the business, real estate and luxury goods he bought created a boom in the economy. Um, And he basically used a bank in in Angola, a Portuguese colony, to launder the money. And then he tried to buy a stake in the Bank of Portugal to retroactively approve the unauthorized (laughs) banknotes. Um, And basically, the only reason he was found out was because a group of journalists, which was a newspaper owned by what was almost a competitor, basically started to investigate him i imagine not for that reason yeah yeah. but that's what they uncovered and it's it said that the extent of his conspiracy was so large that no one actually believed it could have been carried out by a single person and the government and court suspected that it was corrupt employees of the bank that helped him but also that he had the support of foreign governments in order to take control of portugal's colonies funnily enough as well he only served a 20-year prison sentence but he actually only he got out after 15. Um, that feels so, like that should have a film, though. That feels like that, that, that should be a film. I do wonder if there's actually a film on that. I'll have to have a look at that one. But yeah, that was that was the one uh, that, that I had that was quite good. So did you say, sorry, right at the start that he was printing money, but he printed too much? And that's kind of like how it spiralled out from that. Is that what you're saying? It's... Yeah, but I guess at the time, you know, he had he had 1% of Portugal's GDP. Um, and basically, that's what caused like an economic crisis, I guess, because... He's turned around, so he he bought real estate and that sort of thing. So it caused the real estate market to boom. And I imagine after the boom, you're going to have a bust, aren't you? That's incredible. That, that's that, incredible. For a single individual, and bear in mind as well, it's like the guy was only 28. Like, <laughs> he's probably, yeah, it's one of those things where he's had a great idea. Then he's he's looked at the end of the day. He's only wanted to print like a thousand pounds. And he's like, fuck, it's a hundred million pounds here. <laughs> <laughs> He's like putting it here, there, and everything. No, that's 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 amazing. That should have a film. We should have a look. That that if it, and if it hasn't, why hasn't it? That's, that's yeah, a, we we should pitch that then. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, have you have you got have you got another one? Or? No, I've got I've got more celebrity one, but that's more modern. So I'll let you carry on before I rudely interrupted. Okay, no, 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 no. It's fine because I was kind of going. Again, like kind of like you said, these these feel more lighthearted, and and I don't mean that that there's still people trying to con people, but it's now it's not individuals, it's more organisations, and they've got caught. So it's it, I'm good with that. My conscience is clean. Again, starting with the old ones, there was um there's a more modern TV scandal which you will know when I tell you when I when I say it. It reminded me of one. I remember there being a film about something in the 60s, I think, in America, and what it was is it's like a scam, but 
the other way. So rather than contestants, it was uh, the creators of the shows manipulating probably better. So so basically, I think they were saying in the 50s, new ideas were needed in game shows to keep the audiences up because I think the, the audiences were dropping away. So there was a load of new quiz shows with unprecedented prize levels being started. So there was the first one was like the $64,000 question on CBS became the first big money prime television show in 1955. Uh, okay. Yeah, with Joyce Brothers becoming the first woman to earn the $64,000. Now, it was revealed later that the show was controlled. The producers didn't want her to win and deliberately gave her questions perceived to be beyond her ability, but she answered them correctly anyway. This show was one of the shows ultimately implicated to be fixed. So, so again, you've got the, the, the game show, which people have long thought about programs and competitions being manipulated and they were trying to control that to, to maybe make it seem unattainable so then people continue watching to see if somebody would win the top prize in this one in september 1956 um the jack barry hosted game show called 21 and i think this is what they made a film on premiered on nbc its first show being played legitimately with no manipulation by the producers the initial broadcast though was in the words of the co-producer a dismal failure as the two contestants were so lacking in required knowledge that they answered a large number of the questions incorrectly one of the show's sponsors upon seeing this opening night performance reportedly became furious with the results and said in no uncertain terms that they didn't want to see a repeat and from that moment on in a documentary the co-producer dan enright said they decided to rig 21 so three months into its run there was a contestant herb stemple had been coached by the producer to allow his opponent to win the game and he took the fall as requested and a year later he told the new new york journal that his winning run as champion on the series had been choreographed to his advantage with the show's producer and that the show's producer then ordered him to purposely lose his championship yeah it was an odd one there that it was this the manipulation there was to the person's advantage but again, it was all about getting ratings up. It was, you know, what you were seeing. Yeah. So the viewers are being conned in that sense. And yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's still for financial gain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But sorry, the the, the one I wanted to say then, the British one was, um, who wants to be a millionaire? So... Uh, uh, you, do you know what it was, right? When you started talking about game shows, I was convinced that there was a bloke or someone that had had something dodgy with uh, who wants to be a millionaire. And yeah. the article, I've got the guy up on... Um, on my screen on my other uh, tab but i'll let you tell this one obviously i don't need to explain what who who wants to be a millionaire is because it's over that it's across the world but there was an episode in 2001 that's gone down in history in in the uk where someone it was charles ingram a guy called charles ingram answered the 15 questions to win it but straight away he was denied the winnings due to suspicions of of cheating and the bit i didn't know was this bit here so it was on the 9th of september he became a contestant on the show following his wife and her brother who had each won thirty-two thousand pounds on the show as a contestant as contestant so i didn't know that so and he was he, he entered as a genuine contestant so he practiced for about 20 minutes a day on a homemade fastest finger first machine which i don't even want to think <laughs> about right <laughs> and he got into the chair on the show and he used two lifelines really early and he only he ended the first day at four thousand pounds with only the 50 50 lifeline remaining the production team thought he wouldn't get much further but then he reached a million pounds now where the cheating comes from is there was someone in the crowd had picked up and i think one of the other contestants basically said that there was coughing coming from one of two people either his wife in the audience or one of the other possible contestants 
So if there was a question, I think the guy in the seat was giving almost like the impression that he didn't know the answer. So he'd asked the, the host, Chris Tarrant at the time, to repeat the answers. And there was a cough on the right answer, which the guy would then say. And they got through and they ended up going to court. I think, let's have a look. So they said by the time they'd left the show, the TV company began to receive allegations of irregularities and at the same time the show's presenter had overheard the ingrams arguing despite him's success moments before he joined them in their dressing room for champagne and another member of the production team also noticed a similar thought about the couple's behavior Uh, while reviewing the recording the production team made a connection between ingram's answers and coughs coming from one of the waiting contestants in another instance the coughing came from ingram's wife while she was in the audience Based on this evidence, all three were accused of treating, cheating. The matter handed over to the police to investigate further. And I think they were sentenced to a couple of years prison, but I think it was suspended. But again, that's brilliant how they've done that. I think the greed factor come into play there. She's won 32,000. Her brother's won 32,000. I reckon if he could have got to maybe, even if it was the 64,000, he could have taken that money and probably been okay. I actually think there's a documentary. I think it's called Major Fraud, a play on his rank in the (laughs) RAF, I think. Um, And you know what? I I, I still think even if he'd have turned around and just taken, is it half a million quid that you get to? What's the second um, highest amount? Yeah, yeah, I think it would be. I think it must be. Or is it 256,000? No, I think it's, is it not 125, 250, 500? must be. Yeah, it it must be. I reckon even if he'd have turned around and skipped and said, I don't want to go for a million quid, I reckon he would have got away with it. Because at that point, the, the, the evidence would have said, well, if he was cheating and he'd got to this point, why did he not go for the million quid? But just to note, have they always, have they denied it or did they accept that they did it? Have they never admitted to it? Because from what I remember, I don't. I think they always maintained the fact that they were uh, innocent. I mean, you can look online, and people have actually made the coughs more audible. Yeah, um, that's and you actually what they've said they've said yeah. it was it was edited to set it up. They made it audible, and they said, yeah, the way the way the evidence was presented, it it made it look worse than it was. It's a bit of coincidence, right? Though, if they're coughing on the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is though? I'm, I'm actually just having a look at like the trial and the um, the testimonies from um, some of the the people that were involved. So there was uh, Larry Whitehurst, who was another contestant, um, and he appeared on the show as fastest finger first contestant on four occasions. And he said that he was adamant he'd known the answers, and he told the court that he'd been able to detect a pattern of coughing. He was entirely convinced that the coughing had helped. The bloke that had actually ended up helping him, the one that the, of the three of them that were accused, he, he claimed to have suffered a persistent cough for his entire yeah. life yeah. and insisted that the genuine cough was caused by a combination of hay fever and dust allergy. And apparently, though, when he got in the chair, his cough problem suddenly disappeared. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I mean, it's a risky subject, though, because what if it was just some random person coughing? <laughs> The bravado, I think, is brilliant. The fact that they've got a fellow contestant in on it as well. Yeah. I think it's ingenious. And like I said, could they have got away with it if they just stopped at the 125 or or whatever? You yeah, know, the 64. Yeah, yeah. Again, greed, greed. Greed is a bad thing. Right. I've got a couple of last ones I want to finish with, but I'll, I'll hand over to you if there's anything else you've got, because these are quite funny ones, I think. So. Okay. I'll tell you what, then I'll talk about one that, and this is from the States and you'll know who I'm talking about. As soon as I mention the popular film that kind of made this uh, story immortal, it's the film Catch Me If You Can. Oh yeah. I've, I've not seen it, which is bad. I know, but I know it. 
It is a brilliant film, but it's a story of Frank Abagnale. Um, and he was basically a con man in the US um, who had basically spent his entire life um, defrauding everyone that he possibly could. Again, it, the story was made into a film. Leonardo DiCaprio played him um, in the film Catch Me If You Can. There are just some really good instances of some scams that he had. So he used tricks such as dressing up as a security guard and stealing money from airlines and car rental companies. Um, he once put an out-of-order sign in front of a Dropbox for payments. I think this is outside of a bank. And it instructed depositors to hand their money over to the guard on duty. <laughs> because he was dressed as the guard, he then just disappeared before getting caught. <laughs> it's that Bristol Zoo car park attendant. It, it is. Um, obviously, this was, um, this was you know, I think it was in the se- uh, the 70s, wasn't it? It was his, um, his main period that he, uh, that he was active for. But yeah, he defrauded um, entire airlines. He actually faked pilot's licenses and managed to get basically free flights on the premise that he was a pilot for Pan Am. He fraudulently made payments to himself by creating fake checks and that sort of thing. But he actually also ended up working for the FBI, oh, really? funnily enough, um, to investigate crime. So basically the FBI, I think, released him on the condition that he worked alongside them to basically help solve and uh, scams that were ongoing. And he works as like a security consultant nowadays. But yeah, really, really cool story. Would certainly recommend the film if you get an opportunity to watch it. Is it not almost like um, they portray him as as a fun cat? It's more of a cad, like a, a playboy rather than someone yeah, who's defrauding yeah. people. Is that is yeah. that not a danger there, I guess? But, but do you know what it is as well? I think the, the instance with him, when you start to read about him, I think that it was more than the money. Because for me, the whole thing about being a pilot or a doctor or security guard i think there was more thrill as well in it for him so he did things that weren't just regular scams because i think he wanted the thrill um as well and i think that was just as much a factor as the actual the actual money that he defrauded in the first place okay cool have you got have you got anything else there or that that's it for me abignell absolute legend well if you want to talk about legends i've got i've got a legend here (laughs) this is funny now because ultimately there's only one person hurt and and that's a football manager and and i think they were it's just their ego bruised more than anything so do you know what what i'm gonna say i think i think i know where you're going yeah go on go on so the name ali (laughs) dia yeah so for people on the other side of the pond we're talking soccer again now there was a football player a liberian player called george weir who was phenomenal player he was at the time this this happened i think in 96 he was the fifa world player of the year yeah he did win a ballon d'or i think he he played for ac milan as well he did, i think yeah. who at the time you know that was when the italian league was doing really well so yeah george we're a phenomenal player and there was a an english side called southampton managed by graham soonis and he's still on tv now as a, as a pundit who <laughs> so it's just brilliant i'm laughing at this <laughs> But he got a phone call purporting to be from George Weir, telling him to sign his cousin. That is, he had a cousin called Ali Dia, and that his cousin had played for Paris Saint-Germain, played for 13 times for his country, and none of this was true. And the phone call to Sunis was made by a fellow u- university student of Dia, suggesting that he would give Dia a chance with Southampton. Sunis was convinced, and he was signed on a, on a one-month contract. So I think basically what had happened was, you, you know, he gets a phone call saying, I'm George Weir. I've got my cousin. I think you should sign him. And before looking at any tapes or anything, I think because Southampton probably then, as as now that they, you know, they're not the top of the table. Probably just about middle of the table. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But not very. They're not a top tier club. Yeah, not a what's the word fancied club. Anyway, let's say that again. The greed and the desire to get 
one up on everyone else probably just was too <laughs> strong right and so he signed him so this is where it gets brilliant right so so Dia actually played a game for Southampton just the one <laughs> and he wore the number 33 shirt it was against Leeds United on the 23rd of November 1996 and this is where the luck comes in he had originally been scheduled to play in a reserve team match against Arsenal but the match was cancelled due to a waterlogged pitch so in the match against Leeds, he came on as a substitute for the injured Matt Letizia after 32 minutes, but was himself substituted again in the 85th. <laughs> Letizia said he ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It was embarrassing to watch. And then he, yeah, he was released by Southampton two weeks into his contract. But basically he had played. So, so he had played in the lower levels in France and Germany, but he'd already failed at trials at Gillingham and Bournemouth. And he joined another non, couple of non-league sides. But yeah, I mean, and... And I remember that. That was just amazing. The fact that a guy had conned his way into one of the top tier teams pretending to be, you know, he's got his mate to call him up and pretending to be George Weir's cousin. I think that's fantastic. You see, that, that one's brilliant. And I actually put more of a thought on that one the, to, to Southampton and Graham Soonest than anyone else because that that is actually brilliant. I'm actually looking at his professional record now and he did play, yeah, for Dijon. Um, but and then Gateshead, played, <laughs> yeah. played eight games for. He had a career that spanned nearly ten years, but he only played, I think, about thirty games, scoring th- four goals, four goals in his long career as well. It's the equivalent now of what boasting on your CV, right? <laughs> I think fair play to him. Like, like you said, the fault there is at the clubs that where they didn't do their due diligence, right? You know, they didn't check any tapes. So they, they just want. They got the coup. They thought they were signing. George Weir's cousin and that's all they saw yeah I mean you know what because when you look at the lie the only bit of the lie is actually the fact that he was George Weir's cousin isn't it yeah yeah. because he was a footballer he did actually play in France I mean he didn't play for PSG I guess that's that's probably a big bit but but you know he was a footballer so I mean he's he's only the truth a little bit it's true it's a bit like you know if if you turn around on your CV you did GCSE French and you say you feel you're fluent you just hope that nobody's ever going to call you out and speak French to you don't you it's the fact and I remember this at the time it's the fact that he got subbed like half hour or so after he came on I'll have to see if there's any footage of that game I think there must be I think there must be this then led me and I'm just going to do one more because i'm looking at the time i when i was looking up because again i i remembered the famous george weir cousin instance so i looked up and i saw there were another couple of footballers who did similar things now there, there was two and i chose this guy so there was a guy called carlos enrique raposo born 2nd of april 1963 he was known as carlos kaiser and he was a brazilian footballer who played as a striker Although his abilities, sorry, it's just the wording of this. This was from Wikipedia. His abilities were far short of professional standard. Nice way of saying he was rubbish. He managed to sign for numerous teams during his decade-long career. Now, get this right. So while the the, the Alidea one was funny and it was a one-off lie and that's a club, this guy is a genius in how he carried on this scam. He never actually played a regular game. The closest occurrence ended in a red card whilst warming up and he hid <laughs> and he hid his limited ability with injuries, frequent team changes and other ruses. So basically, he just kept signing for clubs and never played. I mean, the, the one time he came close to getting on, he made sure he got a red card before he actually entered the pit. <laughs> what was he done? Two footed one of his teammates in the lineup, like punched a ref. <laughs> He later returned to Brazil and started a career as a fast footballer since he wanted to be a footballer, but did not want to play football. Right? <laughs> oh, He became friends of many footballers so that he would have a big network to be recommended whenever he needed transfer to a new club. 
With a physical shape similar to professional footballers, but lacking the skills, his fraud consisted of signing a short contract and stating that he was lacking match fitness so that he would spend the first weeks only with physical training where he could shine. When he had to train with other players, he would feign a hamstring injury. The technology at the time made it difficult to detect that fraud. He had a dentist who claimed he had an infection whenever any club wanted to go further. By following these steps, he managed to stay a few months at various clubs, just training without ever being exposed. And the final bit I've got is another part of the farce was to befriend journalists so that they would write fictional stories about him. In one article, it was reported he had such a great time at Puebla that he was even invited to become a Mexican citizen to play for the national team. (laughs) And get this right, the last line, I promise you. He used toy mobile phones, expensive and uncommon at the time, the real ones, to create fake conversations in foreign languages or reject non-existent transfer offers to create an image of himself as a valuable player. I mean, come on, I mean, come on. Give, the, give the man a hand. I mean, that is, that's taking it to the next level. That is, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. You know what? I actually think I've heard the story of him before. I've never known his name, but I think it's like one of those things that you see on social media. You think, oh, no, surely not. But, but that is absolutely fantastic. But do you know what the thing that's really concerning is like, he didn't, like, unlike Ali Dea, he didn't turn around. He was just like, no, I am shit at football. I am never <laughs> playing this game. He was like, I will do everything I can to get a place in a team, but not play football because he appreciated the fact that he would be found out. I think that's brilliant. That's he said he wanted to be a footballer, but didn't want to play football. I mean... Loving the lifestyle, but just not... The, not the but game. to me, it's almost the final bit I said was almost the classic buying a toy phone and speaking in a foreign language to make it look like he was being courted by teams and rejecting off. I mean... <laughs> You know, the guy hasn't just thought about this for five minutes. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's just a scam is a scam. And we've got to say that's wrong. That's wrong. Genius, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I rate that one, to be fair. I feel like that would also be quite a good documentary stroke film on him as well. Actually, I, think I might that check. There, might, there, there may be one. So I think that was it for me. There was one thing that came to mind right at the start and I forgot to mention it. You know where you're saying you're getting really, you, you can be ultra sceptical when talking to a bank or, or something now. I remember years back, me and the other half, we went on holiday, we went to Thailand. Yeah. And so the, I can't remember the time difference, but it's many hours. Anyway, I get a phone call in the middle of the night there. It's um, from a call center claiming to be from First Direct. And I wanted to speak to my girlfriend. And at the time I said, no, I thought, no, this is a scam. So I just hung up and they tried again. I just hung up, get home. And our answer machine was full up of messages from First Direct. We had about 10, no joke, 10 letters from First Direct. What had done, somebody had cloned her card, her bank card, right. literally the day we left. And they were trying to get in contact with us to tell us, say, you know, where, <laughs> where are you? So, and I was just hanging up on them. We got the money. They took a couple of hundred pounds. But it, what was ironic was they must have done it the day before we left. And they used it the first day of the holiday. But this was in Australia, whereas we was in Thailand. So we were able to prove we weren't there and we had the card. But it was just the fact that they were calling. I one, it was the middle of the night, but also I wouldn't have believed them anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm so sceptical. Could have been even worse if they'd have turned around and decided to spend even more money. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, £200 <laughs> was bad enough. I guess that's it then. 
just be safe out there, I guess, is, is what we're saying, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just, just keep your wits about you. There's enough bad people in the world. And like, like I said, if something seems too good to be true, it de- it not, not it might it, it looks too good to be true. It fucking definitely is. It definitely is too good to be true. If someone's offering you Bitcoin to put your bank details into a website, don't do it. Don't do it. If somebody's ringing you up asking if you had a car accident, no, you haven't had one hang up. I, I I can't, you know. We we should be um. What's that bloke that does money advice on the morning? Oh, is it Martin Lewis? Martin Lewis. We should yeah. have like some Martin Lewis style style show that we do as like a twenty minute soundbite every week. <laughs> I mean, my advice would be yeah. If they've told you you're in a car accident and you don't drive, there's a warning sign there. And <laughs> if they're saying you've got issues with a computer or a supplier that you're not with, hang up there and then. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best bit of advice I can give. All right, cool. I think we'll end it there then. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts on this or you've been scammed or nearly been scammed, you know, drop us a note. Let us know what you think of these people. You can email us at the castingviewspod at gmail.com on Twitter at castingviews. And we'll have to finish, of course, with our catchphrase. We know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose. So we thank you for listening to Casting Views. (laughs) 